welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm looking at Becky right now. Hey. How are you? Good. Having a good day. Good. On, on the ferometer, where are you at? On the ferometer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hovering around a two and a half on our ferometer okay. yeah. um, because I am fearing, wait, you didn't ask me. Well, I just asked you. I just asked you. I'm sorry. Asked I asked you. I just asked you. Whatever that means. I just made that up. Um, this is what's happening as I'm getting older. You know, my mom used to make up words and make up things all the time. Like she told me once that her vulva hurt. And I said, wow, you can feel your vulva. That's amazing. What did she mean? Uvula. She meant uvula. But still, no. why can't you just say, I don't know like, what that is. I don't know, your throat hurts. It's the uvula. I think your uvula is like something. Right in here. I don't know. How many episodes am I going to not know anatomy? The other day I was like, I don't even know what a lat is. I don't even know what you call the muscle that goes. You like, don't know what arm. a lat is. Hold on. We'll define. Well, you know what you a vulva is. You said so. it was on your stomach, on your side, right? Yes, but you know what a, a vulva is. Yes, Marie, that part I know. Okay, good. Hold on. Avila, Avula, Avino. I don't know. I don't know what that is. It's a, okay. Uh, it's what a, is a uvula. Okay. We're usually referred to as projection from the back edge of the middle of the soft palate composed of connective tissue containing a number of glands. Like your tonsils? Yes, that's it. The soft flap of tissue that hangs down on the edge of the throat. Yes, I was right. So she was saying her she throat couldn't hurt. just say that her throat, she had a no. throat ache or something? No, but she said her vulva hurt. Oh, no. Yeah, no. but she would make up words. I can't, James knows Well, that's more not a made-up word. She's just misplacing She's making shit up. <laughs> but she would also make up words, and she would also lie about reading books. So. Oh. Yeah, so James and I were going to go see Eyes Wide Shut, and my mom was like, oh, I really want to see that. And James was like, are you sure? Yeah. Like, Oh, I love Nicole Kidman. And he's like, yeah, but and she's like, I've read the book. There's a book? There's not a book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so when she said that, James was like, oh, okay, well, if you've read the book, then we'll take you. <laughs> and then later he was like, there's no book. <laughs> he's like, but I definitely want to see her reaction to this movie. But I did that with that TV show, Tell Me Your Secrets, because I was reading a book called tell me your lies and I thought it was that I thought it was the same I thought it was the same thing and it wasn't Uh, but I told people I'm like oh I'm reading the book and they're like there's a book and I'm like yeah and then I started watching the show and I'm like this is not the same all right so you're saying I should give her the benefit of the doubt no anyway (laughs) so what are you fearing today Becky (laughs) I'm fearing that we as a human race have lost our way and I'm basing that on the amount of speakerphone use in public spaces and it makes me batshit crazy when people do that and so one time I was in Starbucks and this guy was on a speakerphone holding like this like this right his phone was right next to his mouth screaming at each other in the middle not outside in the Starbucks and so I asked the woman behind the counter, I go, did anybody talk to him about this? And she goes, yeah, a couple of us have. And he ignored them. So I regulated. <laughs> you regulated. I did. I regulated. I, I was about six feet away from the guy. And I go, hey, headphones. And he looks at me and I go, pointed in my ears. And I go, headphones. And he, he looked down at his phone again. And I go, no. I said, we're all having this conversation with you. You need to knock it off. 
And the people around him were looking at me like, thank you. Because, you know, at Starbucks, everyone's trying to work. I mean, you have meetings there. It's not like a place where, you know, it's all free for all. There's people who are actually trying to get work done. And I don't care if it is. No one wants to hear your fucking conversations. No one. Okay, so I do have a suggestion, some advice out there for people when this happens. You should just treat the situation how it actually is. So, like, you should just go sit down next to him in his seat and be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool that we're watching this together. Oh my God. Do you know what I said to Curtis? If I were alone and Curtis wouldn't have to handle the guy flipping out and getting into a fight, that's exactly what I said I would do. I'd walk over and stand next to him. And I'd be like, wow, that's such good news. Just start start talking to him yeah. the whole yeah. time. And then if you're like, I'd be like, well, I just thought that since you're listening to it in such a public forum that you wanted us all to engage with. Yeah. Same yeah, thing, the guy I, that's I having the conversation, just be like, oh, hey, hey, I, sorry to interrupt, but, but hi, my name is Marie. And I'm really enjoying this conversation. And I felt like I should engage with you guys. I mean, you're having a conflict. And you know, I teach conflict resolution (laughs) for a living. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to start giving advice. If I hear someone go, he's so mean to me, I'll just look over and go, oh, you should break up with him. Oh, oh, you didn't want my advice? Oh, I thought we were all talking to your friend on speaker. (laughs) It's so confusing because if I'm on the receiving end of this call if i'm on the other end i don't want to be on speaker in starbucks no. or wherever don't put me on speaker and have a conversation with me in a public place that's all i'm saying so don't do the speakerphone thing y'all i just don't watch videos loudly i've moved tables so many times because people were watching videos i'll wrap this up before we get to our real fear we were in a really nice restaurant on lake travis in austin and it was Allison's birthday. And we went to this lovely steak place. And there was a couple of maybe college age at a table nearby. And they didn't speak to each other the whole dinner. And they both just watched videos on their phones during this really nice steak dinner. And the only time they talked to each other was when they showed each other what they were watching on their video. Oh, look at this one. This one's really funny. And then they would show. Oh, my gosh. It was the only time they spoke to and we were all like we were more involved in what they were watching on their videos than we were in whatever was going on at our table so anyway that's all that's my fear have you seen the all-state commercials where there's like a psychologist don't be your parents yeah they're hilarious yesterday i referenced it with james because we were at the outlet mall and there was this dude that was talking on his phone very very loudly oh is that one of the ones i haven't seen the one where he references talking on your speakerphone i was making fun of it so i got my phone and I turn to James and I go I just had a big lunch followed by a light snack because <laughs> that's what the woman says in the commercial she's like oh, it is? Home Depot I haven't seen that talking oh at the top of her you just had a big lunch <laughs> oh my god those commercials are so fucking funny yeah. but that's the, the kind ones of where he's like those wooden those inspirational wooden signs Do oh you yeah need it to tell you to live laugh love no you don't. <laughs> he just drops it those are so Honey, and that guy's love- so perfectly cast. That actor, yeah. I love it. I love it when the when they're all standing there and like a guy with blue hair walks by and he's like, "We all see it. We all see it." And then finally, the guy goes, like, oh, "It's blue." <laughs> the waiter doesn't need to know your name. Oh, those are so good. Those are yeah. so good. See, it actually does fit because it used to drive me crazy. My mom would do this. Her phone would ring while she's checking out at like a Starbucks or somewhere, right? She could not not pick it up. So she would pick it up Mm-mm. and she would start talking. And she's also like mildly deaf in one ear. So she would be so talking she yelled. very loudly. 
and mm-hmm. I would be yelling at her like mom stop it you know so it just turned yeah. into a big thing but I do think young people are doing it more so well the other day and I put this on my Facebook the other day I was at another we keep saying Starbucks can we go another place but apparently right now all we're doing Starbucks no. we need to do an episode on how I'm afraid I'm gonna get uh cancer from Starbucks food Starbucks cancer yeah yeah <laughs> continue <laughs> um and I'm I'm the only one on the patio who's not on speakerphone at the top of their lungs and I'm looking around I'm like I really I don't want to have to listen to this why are we opposed to headphones somebody explain it to me get headphones they're not that expensive if you can afford a fucking cell phone you can afford headphones yeah 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 all right that's like, all that's my fear all right it's a good I one to ask you what one. you're fearing what am I fearing? What are you fearing today, Marie? Well, today we're fearing babysitting. Yes, we are. And like, you know, we're going to talk about some stories about scary situations where somebody is home alone with the kids. But, you know, the thing that, that I thought most, I was like seven or eight and my sister doesn't know how to swim. And she was like babysitting me at, at the beach. And I went out onto this jetty and she was yelling to me not to go out any further because she can't swim and by the way she was in the navy which i think is hilarious that is funny especially because uh, she's like four foot nothing yeah she's four foot nothing she can't swim and she was in the navy <laughs> and i was like basically just being like nanner nanner and going out further going out further and a huge wave came and just swept me off the jetty and of course she was just like screaming and crying and I guess I just had a, a will to live. I don't know. But I like, wow. and I was just like totally waterlogged holding onto the side of that jetty. And I pulled myself back up on onto it. And when I, when I got to the shore where she was standing, she punched me in the stomach. <laughs> no. <laughs> and she was just like kicking and punching me and telling me what an asshole I was. <laughs> my god we would have these kind of fights all the time and by the way she's like 14 years older than me too okay so you were seven (laughs) and she was hitting you she was so mad at me but like another example we would go to church and i'd like after church say we're like sitting in the car waiting (laughs) for our parents to come out and i'd be doing something annoying and she'd tell me to shut up and then i'd start singing this song that we'd sing in church all the time it was like I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's the song. I love you. And I would sing it very creative, like very obnoxiously. And then she would start hitting me and singing, I hate you because you're so shitty. (laughs) (laughs) She would sing, I hate you because you're so shitty. Yeah. She would sing it. That's like the worst song ever. <laughs> yeah, it was better than the other song, though. <laughs> yeah, it's probably better than the I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I yeah, love you. yeah. It's like Skylar going, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut <laughs> up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like another time when I was washing dishes, I was in junior high, though, but she didn't like the way I was washing the dishes. So she kept putting the dishes back in the sink for me to wash them again. And we got into a fight and she like grabbed my head and dunked it into the water. And then we wrestled. Lord. <laughs> yeah. And my parents were totally confused all the time. We were just like always fighting. Wow. She knew karate too. <laughs> Y'all are both lucky that she wasn't bigger. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, once I got bigger, I threw her into the laundry room door and 
broke the laundry room door. She probably stopped hitting you after that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how that works. When I was younger, she'd pinch me a lot. And my parents did stop her from doing that because I had a lot of bruises from her pinching me. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. She wasn't a very good babysitter. Sorry, Um, Orlinda. I don't feel abused by you, Orlinda. (laughs) Kind of sound like an abuser, Orlinda. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) No, no. No, no, no. Kids are bad. Kids are oh, dumb. of course, of course. And like, we were always, trust me, I was a huge I would say, you kid. weren't an angel. Oh, no, no, no. I was always messing up her stuff and her clothes and. I would have beat you up too. <laughs> anyway, but we're not talking about that kind of babysitting experience. We're we talking not. about. We're talking about genuinely terrifying babysitting experience. Yes. And from what I've read, there is one story in particular that gets told all the time. It's like an urban legend. Yes, you want to tell it or you want me to tell it? Let me tell the urban legend story and okay. then we can get into the actual story that it's based on. Yeah. Does that sound, does it sound yeah, right? it's based on a real story. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So right, you go, you tell the, because they made a fabulously scary movie about it in 1979. Okay. Did you see that movie? When a stranger calls? No, I don't think I've seen that. <gasps> Carol Kane? I do not think. Really? Oh my God. Okay. We're creepy. Okay. This is from a website called medium.com. And so for those of you who haven't heard this or haven't heard it for a long time, this is a story a lot of girls tell at slumber parties is like a yeah, like scary yeah, story. Around the campfire type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the story that most people tell. Jane was babysitting for the Millers for the first time. The Millers kids, Bobby and Tiffany, were already asleep when Jane arrived. She was doing her homework at the kitchen table when the phone rang. Hello? Jane asked, but heard only heavy breathing in return. She hung up the phone and walked to the front door to make sure it was locked. The phone rang again. Jane picked up and said, hello? Have you checked the children, said a low voice. Let me do that again. Have you checked the children, said a low voice on the other end. Confused, Jane asked who was calling, but the caller was gone. Fifteen minutes later, the phone rang again, and the caller asked the same question. Have you checked the children? Jane knew she should go upstairs to check Bobby and Tiffany, but her legs were too weak to safely climb the stairs. She called the Millers several times, but couldn't get a hold of them. Next, Jane called the operator to see if it was one of her classmates trying to frighten her. The operator asked her to hold for a second while she traced the calls. When the operator came back to the line, she told Jane, get out of the house now. I'll send the police. The calls are coming from inside the house. yeah okay so so many horror films have this as a premise i mean obviously halloween could just do a search for babysitter horror films but all of these films are based on a case from columbia missouri in march of 1950 yes it is absolutely terrifying well the movie when a stranger calls with carol kane in 19, I think it was 79, and Charles Durning, or maybe he was in the second one because they made a part two. I think it was like when a stranger calls back or something, but it was good too. It was really creepy. Right. But what happened in the movie is at the end of it, he killed the children upstairs. They were dead Mm. and she gets away. But the real story is a really scary one that happened in Columbia to someone named Janet Christman. And Here's what happened. In March of 1950, this eighth grader named Janet Christman decided to skip a party 
with her classmates because she was going to babysit for a local family. And just like in that urban legend, the three-year-old boy she was babysitting was asleep when she got there. So it's kind of nothing to do, just sit here and study. Creepy. So she brought her books to study for classes, right? Well, one of her friends, Carol, said later in a documentary called Killer Legends. Have you ever seen that documentary? No. It's really good. It's by the guy who did Cropsy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. And so it's all about the basis of like the Halloween candy, like that's Mm -hmm. actually based in a real case, you know, and stuff. So she said, I was also babysitting the night of this event and I felt uneasy. She said there was temperatures below freezing and raining and sleeting. Now, the only thing that we know that happened next is that the mother of the boy had tried to call during the night just to check in during the night, but Janet didn't answer. And then she received a busy signal. But didn't really think anything of it. Teenage girl, she's probably on the phone, right? And then when they came home, they found her dead in the living room. And she had been strangled by a cord from the iron. Yeah. And on the medium.com that you just referenced, you can see where the living room is in disarray. Things have been turned over. There's an obvious struggle. And then there's her leg sticking out where she'd been murdered. And what had happened earlier is that somebody got in the house and raped Janet. And she did reach the police and she screamed and said, come quick. But this was 1950. It wasn't like they could trace a call, you know, go to the house and save her. And we've talked about 911 calls. Maybe we'll do a show on that. People who answer those distress calls to me have got to be a special type of a human being to be able to take somebody who is in the middle of one of the obviously worst moments of their lives. You never get a happy phone call to 911 or 999. And to be able to keep a cool head, to walk them through it while following your protocols, to alert the police or alert the ambulance. And can you imagine 1950 in this relatively small town getting a scream and a come quickly and then nothing. And you don't know who to help. So you know? pretty incredible multitasking that's going on. Yeah. I, like I'll be doing something really simple, like a simple exercise with my trainer. And then she'll ask me like, how my weekend was and then I don't know my left from my right I can't do the exercise anymore you know <laughs> falling over imagine if, imagine if you're trying to figure out where someone is giving them directions on how to either save their life or the life of somebody else and directing somebody to go to their house it's just like I can't imagine how stressful that would be no that's a tough job and also I think it's a tough job too for the the things that you have to hear and the things that happen exactly yeah because how do you forget it how do you yeah. go to sleep at night? So those of you who are the emergency operators out there, and if you listen to this show, we love you. We love you. Yeah. So now the thing that we don't know is whether or not any calls were made to her. So you know, yeah, like from what to... I read, that was sort of a creative license. That was yeah, They wanted to make it creepier to get her more scared. Yeah. Um, you know, and then they never did find her killer. This one is really bothersome because all these years later, 60... One years later, I guess, is it? Um, but there was a local guy whose name is Robert Mueller, which is weird. <laughs> We're not talking about the same guy, right? That right. Uh, he commented on her, quote, well-developed form. Okay, you're 27. She's a right. child. You're gross. And that um, he had run his hand across her dress two days before the murder. Who did he molest? That's a well, weird sentence, right? It's the wife. So this is a website called Morbid Macabre. It Ooh, says, that's a good one. Uh, do you know that website? <laughs> yeah, I go there all the time. Uh, okay. 
The man Anne believed to have been the killer was an old school chum named Robert Muller. Anne was the wife. Mm-hmm. Bob had been a captain in the army who fought in World War II. He had been known to visit the Romax homes often enough, much to Anne's disgust. The man had often made passes at her, and he usually found reasons to touch her. As a matter of fact, Bob had been at their house just the day before Janet was killed and had groped Anne's breast. According to many of the women who had been unfortunate enough to know Bob, they all said he was a pervert. Ed had gone on to inform the police that Bob had brought Janet up in conversation more than once and spoke of how well-developed the teenager was for her age and that he seemed to be fixated on her virginity. Oh, God. Okay, guys. Any of you out there fixated on anyone's virginity? You need to take a look at yourself, okay? Yeah. And now, interestingly enough, this wasn't the only case in the neighborhood of a woman that had been raped and murdered. Tell me that story. Just a few blocks away from the Romac home in February 1946, a 20-year-old college student named Mary Lou Jenkins had lost her life. Mary Lou was afraid of staying alone all the time. But her mom, Dorothy, had been required to be a nurse for an elderly couple. So apparently the mom was a few blocks down so she could see her house. And so the mother and daughter came up with a plan. If anything was to happen, they'd open up the window shades, turn on the lights, and make a phone call. So Dorothy peered upon the house the night that her daughter died. She saw that her daughter had turned on the lights and pulled up the shade, but she hadn't received a phone call. So she assumed everything was okay. Once relieved of her duties the next morning, Dorothy arrived home to find that Mary Lou was bloody and bruised, nude from the waist down, and a lamp cord had been wrapped around her throat. Mary Lou had been beaten, raped, and murdered. Good Lord. So this happened in 1946. And the article that I was reading here on Morbid Macabre said that There were a number of incidents, so I don't know what the other incidents were, but of girls getting attacked in their home. And a mentally handicapped man by the name of Floyd Cochran was convicted and sent to the gas chamber in September of 1947. I think Mm -hmm. the implication is that it's possible that he did not do it. That he was railroaded, yeah. Yeah, and that despite the supposed rapist and killer having been caught, The town was still experiencing serious trouble. Multiple young women had been sexually assaulted by a masked man, and at least one victim had been babysitting while attacked. So something about babysitting that's a little bit eerie, right? I agree. I think it's a lot of responsibility. And I think you can easily freak yourself out, especially at the age like eighth grader or whatever. You're not really by yourself a lot just generally speaking. But I remember once I was house sitting for some people and I think I was 18 or 19 and seeing that Trent Reznor video for I Want to Fuck You Like an Animal. I don't know if you've seen that video. Mm -mm. It's super creepy. But after I watched it, I totally couldn't sleep. It was very violent and creepy. Or you're watching like a true crime or a horror film and you're home Mm -hmm. alone. It can Mm -hmm. really mess with you. No, watch reruns of The Office, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Because you will all of a sudden hear every creak and every branch and heaven forbid it starts to rain because, oh my God, it's going to feel like end of days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like in a lot of these babysitting situations, you are putting yourself in a vulnerable position, right? You're 
I mean, it could be the the people you're babysitting for are creepers, or in this case, they had a creeper friend. So there could be somebody related in some way, a friend, or I've heard stories on crime shows where like, there's a guy that's just fixing a lamppost or doing some service work at a house and they see a girl and then start stalking her, you know? Yes. So yeah, it is a unique situation where it's like maybe the first time as a young woman that you're branching out on your own and doing something and being responsible for something, but you're also putting yourself in a vulnerable position. You don't have your dad to protect you or a male figure to protect right. you. And the idea of putting just like a 14-year-old kid or 13-year-old kid in charge of the safety of a little baby boy. By the way, the little boy was fine. He slept through the whole thing. So the parents came home and they found Janet dead and the little boy was fine. He was still sleeping. Um, but that's a lot to put on a kid, not just yourself staying alone, but that you're in charge of the life and safety and health of another human. It's like, it's a lot. For me, it's like, if it's another person's kid, I feel really like even more anxious about it than I would if it were like mine, you know, because, and I know people who have kids are like, yeah, it's fine. But if it's not my kid, then I'm like, eh. you know, and yeah. I didn't, one of my friends, I was like, going to walk her kid across the street when we we're all walking together. And then it was doing that blinky thing with the hand and said, and I was like, no, we're not going to go. She, she was probably like eight. She looks up at me. She goes, you're not very good at this. <laughs> I go, <laughs> and I go, Hey. It's a blinky light. If you were my kid, I'd cross the street. I'm not crossing the street with somebody else. It's really funny. Like, I'm not good at walking. I'm not good at crossing streets. Anyway, it's funny. Yeah, at the very least, as a nanny or a babysitter, you don't want to kill the other. That's exactly the baby. You don't want anybody to die while you're babysitting. So you're house-sitting. You don't want to catch their house on fire. You know, you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. It's one thing to be responsible for your own crap or your own family members or pets, but then to be responsible for someone else's house and their kids and their, yeah, it's a lot. Did you see the original Scream or yes, all of, of the Scream? Yeah. yeah. What did you think of the opening scene? I liked it. I thought it was scary. I did too. I thought it was really, really creepy. And yeah. those of you who've watched Scream in the years after it came out instead of when it came out, you already know what happens in the opening scene. What happens to Drew Barrymore? Those of us who saw the movie without having read anything about it did not know that was how that scene was going to end. And one of the things I really admire about reading about Drew Barrymore in that movie is she was offered the lead and she thought it would be more interesting if she played that character who dies in the opening because then the whole movie is like, what in the fucking fuck? Mm -hmm. And so the whole time you're watching the scene, you're like, of course she's going to live. Of course she's going to live. Of course she's going to live. So if you haven't seen it, there's a creeper that keeps calling her and asking her about scary movies and asking her all these questions and stuff. And she's going to watch a scary movie and she's waiting for her boyfriend to come over and she's making popcorn and it gets increasingly creepier and scarier and threatening. And then he threatens to kill her and all these things happen. And, and eventually he does right when her parents come home. That part was so frustrating. Her parents are coming home and she comes around the corner and they just miss her. It's just so, so But that so much of that movie was really scary. And that story really is, terrible now and more so i mean it's terrible because two crazy ass kids did a scream murder on someone this is a very visual story because there's videos of the killers of them planning it they video their plans and they video the day of that they're going to go kill somebody and the the girl who's murdered her name is cassie stoddard and she was house sitting and her cousin had asked her to house sit this is in 2006 
in Pocatello. And there was some hesitation on her mom's part, whether or not she should, but she wanted to take care of the animals and stuff. And so she was like, okay, I'll do it. It'll be fine. So she's house sitting and her boyfriend, Matt, kept her company and he came over and they were watching movies and stuff. And they invited over some friends, Brian and Tori, and they were just hanging out, just being normal people, right? And the four teenagers were there for a few hours before the non-boyfriend dudes leave. And the boyfriend, and this is one of the things that's so scary to me, like, you know, the story of Natalie Wood, and I'm not talking about whether or not she was murdered. I'm talking about just how she died. She drowned. Mm-hmm. And Natalie Wood was terrified of drowning. I don't know if you watched the documentaries about her. Mm-hmm. And she, she was terrified of water. And that ended up being how she died. And that is so like extra tragic to me that your worst fear is actually what happens to you. You know, mm-hmm. there was a murder victim of Richard Ramirez, same thing where she had a deathly fear of being raped and, yes, I you know, that. and, and yeah. so those kinds of things for me, I know it's not more tragic or it's not sadder, but there's an extra element of horror that's added for me, if that is your fear. So if you fear like fucking scorpions, you know, whatever, and then you die from scorpions attacking you, there's something really extra terror. Almost like that, a self-fulfilling know? prophecy in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, your last minutes are, yeah, this is about how I thought it would go. I knew you know? it was going to happen. Yeah. So, and so she was nervous and she was scared and the power went out while they were watching TV and stuff. And it was a little bit weird. And one of the dogs was freaking out and growling and, and reacting to something that she couldn't see what it was. And so she was really nervous. So she asked Matt if he would stay. Now these are teenagers, you know, and so he has to call his parents and his mom said no you can't stay over. And I kind of think about those kinds of, not ancillary people, but ancillary characters in a story like this of what does she think? What if she had said, yes, you can stay? Would this have not unfolded? And of course it's not her fault. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying people who commit crime like murder or violent crime, like rape and murder, there's more than one victim that lives with it. It's not just the person right, who's hurt. Right. That's what I'm saying. Of course, you know, the mom, from what I understand in the story, the mom did say she could come and spend the night. You're taking my story off the- Sorry. Sorry. Now, she did say, <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, you cannot stay, my beloved son, Matt, but Cassie can come stay at our house if she's scared. But Cassie, being the responsible girl she was, promised she'd take care of these dogs and- stayed and so can i interrupt you matt should have just been like well mom if you're worried about us having sex you know i've been here by myself all day with her <laughs> you think that would have gone over well yeah i think that would have worked she'd been like oh, okay stay there oh, okay well i didn't think about that stay <laughs> i'll over. bring you some condoms and everybody wins no <laughs> condoms and brownies <laughs> yeah so okay at one point one of the boys who had left early gets on the phone with matt the boyfriend and Matt says his mother's coming to pick him up. And that one of the other friends that he was talking to, Tori, a guy named Tori. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt said that Tori was speaking in a whisper on the phone. And he said, why are you talking in a whisper? And he was like, why are you whispering? He said, oh, we're at a movie. And so Sherry, Matt's mom, picked him up around 11, 11.30. And then Matt said to Cassie, I'm going to call you when I get home. Make sure you're okay. So what had happened was while Tori and the other dipshit were at the house, they had gone downstairs and unlocked the basement door. 
the two boys decided to do a scream type of murder on their friend, Cassie. And they terrorized her by making noises in the basement, slamming doors, all of these things after Matt left, before they murdered her. So when they knew Matt was leaving, they circled around the block and they were outside the house when they were talking in a whisper to Matt. That's why they were whispering. That's why they were whispering. And they re-entered the home through that door in the basement that they had unlocked when they were there earlier. They did the thing where they turned the power off and on, all these things, and they shut off the power throughout the whole house. They flipped the breaker. And then one of the dipshits broke two ashtrays in the basement on the stairs to make as much noise as possible so that they would scare the shit out of Cassie. This is really, really difficult for me because one of the things that people who are relatives of people who are murdered want to know is, did they suffer? Did they go quickly? How much fear and pain were they in? And the idea of this poor girl experiencing absolute terror before her death, prolonged terror, is really hard to even get my head around, you know? It's really hard for me. This one is, this one's art, (laughs) you know? I mean, you're a teenage girl. You're scared of everything anyway. Mm-hmm. you're jumping at any noise and then you try and tell yourself it's fine and matt you know he just left of course nobody's gonna come in super fucking creepy and so they entered the house armed with knives wearing horror movie type masks and i think one of them was like a scream mask and one of them what do you th- what is that like a clown mask or something uh, it's kind of like almost like a mime or a mardi gras mask like a, a white face with like lipstick and then it's got blood dripping down it almost like a porcelain doll face with them yeah yeah so they go upstairs and then one of the dipshits slams a door hoping to scare her and draw her towards the noise she was in the living room and she didn't go towards the noise they had to go find her and she saw them and the badass that she was said i'll kick your ass as she approached them you go girl and then they both attacked her they stabbed her 30 times 30 times teenage friends of hers so one of the things that you'll see if you watch any of the documentary type murder shows about this case is you'll see the video have you seen any video of these boys i didn't watch any of the video i just read the article there's video of them saying oh this is so cool we're gonna do this tonight yeah when they're like in the the high school band room yeah and then the video of them leaving the house like oh my god i can't believe we fucking did it man like they're pumped like just like beside themselves these two psychos it's it's awful you know and one of them i'm gonna show you their pictures i know they both from the pictures they both had um problems with acne there's autopsy pictures in this oh this is by the way is from a a website called oddmurdersandmysteries.com there's autopsy photos in here i was not prepared for that i did see those oh so you've seen this uh, well, I saw the pictures of the perps and I saw the autopsy photos. And so, yeah, there's dipshit yeah. on the right who's all crying about it in court. Like, go fuck yourself. You are a fucking psycho murderer. Okay, so they stabbed her and then they left and they got in their car and they drove to a rural area to dispose of the evidence and they put their weapons clothing other evidence in a bag and then set it on fire so all right so matt did call cassie that night and and she didn't answer her phone and then the morning of the 23rd he called her 15 times and her mother reached out to her couldn't find her nobody answered so this is super creepy 
Matt spends the next evening with one of the dipshit murderers and his family that next night. Oh, Worried about his yeah. girlfriend. Oh, it's crazy. He asked the dipshit to drive him to the house where she was staying. Dipshit told him he didn't have enough gas to get there and back. And Matt spent the night at Dipshit's house. Crazy. Isn't that just awful? Awful. What what do you this is part of that thing, you know, like of being such a such a psychopath that you can separate those parts of your life what you just did the night before that that was a human being you know like that was a human being if i like stabbed somebody 35 times the day prior i think that would be what would be on my mind the next day at at the very least not getting caught for it or like you know what i mean like the compartmentalization is pretty pretty incredible and it, it certainly shows that there's something wrong with the brain function because regular people that do bad things and when I say regular I mean people that don't have a psychological disorder or damage to their brain right they don't compartmentalize in quite that way their lives start to fall apart a little bit they start to struggle they I don't know I just think when somebody can compartmentalize in that way it's probably a sign of some psychological disorder yes yes for sure for sure. It's psychopathy or sociopathy or whatever, for sure. But part of it that's so strange to me, not strange, but when you put together all these different pieces, like it's never in a vacuum, there's always other pieces, is what might have happened that had Matt had his own car, he probably would have defied orders and stayed later, you know, or or just accidentally fell asleep. Um, he might be dead too. Oh, that's true too, that maybe they would have attacked him. But he definitely would have gone over there the next morning to check on her. Yeah. And Maybe it would have been, she would have been found earlier. I don't know. It's just, there's just so many different parts of it. You know, I always think about those kinds of aspects of how random some of these things are that it's a confluence of events, you know? Well, and also don't you think nobody ever sets out to think that something bad is going to happen. And so when somebody, because I know so many people that if you don't respond to their text in like two seconds, they're, they're already like, does Marie hate me? You know? And I was mm-hmm. talking to somebody the other day and they were like, this person didn't return my text. And I'm like, maybe they're busy, you know, maybe they forgot about it, but instead they were just spinning out. Maybe they don't like me anymore. Maybe I offended them. And then sure enough, the person just got distracted. But there so, a, it's, so it's contradictory, right? Because, because you really should behave that way normally, but then what if there is something bad going on? It's like, how long does somebody not respond before you react because you're worried that you're going to overreact. Do you, well, you know, I think like everything else, there's a context to it. And the context here she's is alone. number one, she was alone. She was scared to be alone. She wanted him to call her and she didn't answer that call. There was no, like we had a fight and she's not answering now. You know, if it's uncharacteristic for somebody not to respond, then maybe. Yeah. Cause I remember a friend wasn't responding to my texts or calls for a number of days mm-hmm. and initially I was like what did I do to offend them that that was what popped into my head and then I found out they were in jail (laughs) so so they actually weren't ignoring my calls they couldn't respond because they were in jail (laughs) I um that's I've had students who had that well I couldn't give my speech or send you an email about the speech because I was in jail oh 
You still get an F because you didn't do the speech. People have given you jail as an excuse. Absolutely. And I have a colleague who would write into her syllabus, jail is not an excuse for not turning. <laughs> well, yes. certainly your employer is not going to be like, oh, you oh, missed five days because you were in jail. No worries. We'll keep you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. So it was not until this all happened on Friday night, right? And then Friday night, I said Friday night. Um, Are you okay? Are you having like a Texas seizure? I'm having a Texas seizure. (laughs) On on Friday is when the murder occurred that the family, her cousin's family got home on Sunday. So she laid there, even though her mom tried to call her, her boyfriend was trying to get a hold of her. Ooh, creepy. So her cousin, Allison, arrived home with her family and said the doors were open everything was off the hook there's broken glass and stuff at the foot of the stairs her husband frank went upstairs and came back down screaming call 911 someone's dead on the floor allison ran upstairs while she called 911 she saw cassie on the floor in front of the tv there was blood behind her head and her leg and her left pinky was almost fully cut off that's some of those details where i, I always stop down because i go that's mm-hmm. a defensive wound and how how long did that attack occur and I'm sure that some of these shows have detailed exactly how long her terror went on because they know exactly when they started recording the video, when they left the house, they know what time the phone calls happened before they went into the house. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, it was 18 minutes, 20, I don't even know, but whatever the number is, it's too long. All right. So and Allison, being, being stabbed to death is a very painful way to die. I would think. I would really like to think that, that you would very quickly go into a where your adrenaline creates numbness that you're not feeling all of that pain that would be Hopefully. i would prefer to think that yeah um so allison was told on the 911 call to start cpr and she said you know we know she's dead there's this is not you know this is not an unconscious person so cassie's mom and stepdad were outside and they pulled up to the house in their car when she was coming out and allison's husband frank met them outside and told them he had to be the one to tell them that Cassie had been murdered. Mm-mm-mm-mm. All right. So it didn't take long for them to figure out these two dudes. There was a couple of minutes of discussion, of course, of investigators of, well, with the boyfriend, right? right. And he had, he had such the perfect alibi because the mom picked him up and everything. And so then, of course, they start looking at the friends and they very quickly were able to zero in, relatively quickly able to zero in on the two dipshits, Tori and what's his nuts. And... They interviewed them several times and the parents of one of the dipshits gave permission after the second interview to search his bedroom and they found, oh, a knife sheath under the bed. Much like a child who's caught with pot, what do you think his answer was to the police? And It's not mine. It's not mine. I'm holding it for a friend. Right. <laughs> okay, bruh, where's the knife? Sheaths don't hang around without knives and knives don't hang around without sheaths where's the fucking knife oh i don't um, I, I don't know where the knife is um can i go now <laughs> no no honey you can't you fucking murderer all right they read him his miranda rights blah 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 in one of the interviews dipshit number one stated that dipshit two walked in in front of him towards cassie and stabbed her he thought that they were pulling a joke that Cassie and dipshit number two were pulling a joke on dipshit number one. But once he saw the wounds, he no longer believed it was a joke. Dipshit says he stood watching and wondered what the other dipshit was doing because it was supposed to be a joke. Okay. If you see 
the video of them leaving her house, which I'm sure they were like, oh, they'll never find this video. Um, yeah, they did. It is them celebrating elation. I mean, they are elated about what they have just done. It's horrifying how happy they are. You know, I think this could be, uh, forget about Mensa and all these different intelligence tests. It's like, have someone commit a crime and then try to come up with an explanation and you'll find out their intelligence very, very quickly, right? That's I mean, it tests your ability to, to react on the spot. It's like the perfect test, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they have to commit a murder. It could be something like stealing a donut or something, which yeah. apparently when you put out donuts and tell people not to eat them, that's another experiment that's been done. The majority of people will sneak the donuts. Really? Yeah. Well, that doesn't make me happy. <laughs> that's sad but i'm just saying like that really tests somebody's intelligence to be able to come up with i mean i guess that's what they do in job interviews right where they ask you like how would you handle this situation maybe i'll ask that the next time i interview someone i'll be like so let's say you come up with this like hilarious idea to murder someone like in the scream movies (laughs) and then you forget to like not burn one of the pieces of evidence and the police find it how would you get out of that situation starting time now (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile the person is like applying to be a graphic designer (laughs) but you have to you have to you have to end it with asking for a friend asking for a friend murder yeah yeah. i mean this doesn't really relate to the job i'm just asking for a friend You, you don't know how many times you're going to have to kill for this job. And I just want to make sure you can cover it up. <laughs> I mean, Yikes. all right. So dipshit, dipshit, uh, Brian, Brian with an I, that's not the right spelling. If you spell, if your name is Brian and you don't spell it with a Y, we need to talk. So dipshit, Brian goes in for another interview. He admitted that he unlocked the doors and said that his other dipshit had done all the murdering. Okay. But then he agrees to tell detectives or show detectives where they'd buried and burned all the stuff related to the murder. And there is a lot of shit. I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Okay. Do it. So accompanied by his father and detectives, Brian with an eye went to the area where the evidence was buried and they dug out the hole he pointed to. They found matches, two pairs of black boots, rubber gloves, fingerless gloves, a melted brown hydrogen peroxide bottle. What do you use that for? It seems like afterwards they were just burning stuff for fun. Shouldn't we have like a flag of, hey, government, you probably ought to check out all the people at the Walmart who are buying these products. Like, what does a kid go into a grocery store or a Home Depot or Walmart doing buying these things? Yeah. A mask, a dagger type knife with a sheath, a, another knife with a signature of somebody named Sloan written on the inside, another knife. And a Sony videotape mic drop on said video was probably every last ounce of these two dipshits planning this thing and doing this thing. And I can't remember, did they video the actual murder? I don't think they did. Um, I think they just videoed themselves like monologuing, but okay. It's like, I mean, that's the other thing too. Like I want to start asking in job interviews. So say you commit a murder how are you going to dispose of the evidence? You know, because that's another good thing to know about people. Like, for goodness sakes, if you're going to go to the trouble to dig a hole and like burn this shit, do it right. I know. There shouldn't be anything left. 
if I'm burning something, I'm going to be like churning it like a witch. And, you know, I know I I might do that thing where they put somebody in a shallow grave. Look, if you've already killed somebody, go a little bit deeper than a shallow grave. kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might even like if I committed a murder, I might even like catch the stuff on fire and then like eat it you know, or something like that, like seriously got to get rid of the stuff, like burn it, like you're incinerating it and then spread the ashes of it everywhere. So it can never be found again. Put it in the ocean. I don't, I mean, like, or or better if you're too much of a moron to cover your tracks, don't commit a murder. That's our advice to you. There's your takeaway. Don't commit a murder. If you're too stupid to cover it up, if you're too dumb to commit a murder. Yeah. You should ask yourself, Am I too dumb to commit this murder and get away with it? Yeah. Really look inward before you commit the murder, y'all. And like teenagers, you've got so many outlets these days of like murder games and murder shows. There's so much murder that you can live vicariously through. You You don't don't have to actually do it. No, no. Especially if you're too dumb. So dipshits are in the car. Ready? Want to hear the transcript of some of the stuff? Yeah. Shoot. All right. Dipshit one. We're going for a high death count. Ooh. Did they failed on that one. Plus, we're not going to get caught, Brian. If we're going for guns, we're just going to end it. We're just going to grab the guns and get out of there and kill everybody and leave. What? We're going to make history. We're going to make history. One of them says, for all you FBI agents watching this, and then they laugh. Oh, you weren't quick enough and you weren't smart enough. And we're going to go over to her house. We're going to snoop around over there and try and see if she's home or not. And if she's home and if she's home alone, splat, she's dead. Dipshit number two. Don't put your humor into this. Um, I'm not putting any humor into it. Yeah, people are going to die. Memories will fade. Memories will fade. Yeah. Hmm, I wonder what movie you got that from. Dipshit number one. Myself. Dipshit two. Laughs. Yeah, they're real funny. This is when they're on their way to her house. Because I was thinking this is like dumb and dumber, but without any humor, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're just like really yeah, They're moronic. just these bumbling asshole idiots who just do this. And it says they moved to sever so they'd be tried individually, but the judge shouldn't have allowed it because they're just going to blame each together. other. They're yeah. just going to blame each other. You know, in his trial, they blame her. There's some cases where that's happened where one guy accuses the other and the other guy is accusing him and they can't figure out who did it. So n- nobody goes to jail. Like those twins who have identical DNA. One of them committed a rape and the other one didn't. And they're pointing the finger at each other and they don't know who did it. Isn't that just awful? It's awful. Can you imagine being the one who didn't do it and your brother's doing this to you? Yeah. I was thinking about the long-term ramifications too. I mean, even, you know, parents and the people whose house she was murdered in. But I've heard lots of stories about men who at the time they were boys their girlfriend gets killed in in a violent way like this and then it's like their whole life is tainted by it it's like the relationship what what it could have been and and all that it's it's really sad there's a very famous notorious murder of a group of girls in austin texas and it's called the, the yogurt shop murders do you know this case i don't yeah we need to do a show on this case and I met someone, this is not a friend of mine, I met someone years ago who was dating one of the girls who was oh, murdered wow. in this case. Yeah. And yes, it does. It affected his whole life. Yeah, yes. it has to. It has yes. to because there's no resolution. And I mean, I think this is one of the things that a lot of 
people that have to live with the death of a, a family member, whether it's a sister or a brother or a wife, that it's just an end with no resolution. And, and with other endings, even if your spouse dies of cancer or whatever, you have resolution before that happens, you know, um, this is just abrupt and senseless. And it's just like you're, you're writing a story and then you, you just run out of ink and stop and that's yeah. the end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying last week, like traffic-based crimes or deaths that are so instantaneous, you know, you're just plucked out of your life. It's like, why did that have to happen? And then everyone else around has to pick up the pieces. Something that I would like to discuss, and maybe we can do a part two um, to this episode, because I, I, I wasn't sure where we were going with it. But when I read the story of the Scream Killers, which I hadn't heard before, it reminded me a lot of the Slenderman episode that we did, where the, the girls get together and decide they want to kill their other girlfriend. And shortly after we did the Slenderman episode, James and I watched a movie called we need to talk about Kevin. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this movie? Mm-hmm. A long time ago. It came out a long time ago. I saw it when it came out, I think. If you can, watch it again, because it started me thinking about the topic that we were having, which is when you have a kid, that's a psychopath. Mm-hmm. If y'all and- haven't heard of that movie, it's uh, Tilda Swinton, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's based on a short story also called, or a novella also called, We Need to Talk About Kevin. And it chronicles a woman who has a child and uh, the child just is difficult right from the start. I mean, from infancy to being a toddler. And after I read it, I just wondered how, how much of this is accurate or it's just like somebody's impression of things. And then my cousin sent me to a website about kids that have brain injuries and stuff and disorders from a very young age and the book and the movie kind of delve into the school shooter phenomenon and and where that comes from so I think it would be interesting for us to discuss a couple of more cases of young people teenagers and kids that commit crimes and where that comes from Mm -hmm. because that's the one thing that stands out to me the first story you know is like it really is like a fireside horror story, like plug in the scenario, the woman house sitting, the little girl babysitting. This is just like your sort of garden variety serial rapist. But this other story is like, oh my gosh, you have a psychopath living in your house. And everyone always turns on the parents, you know, when these situations happen, but could the parents have done anything about it? Is it, is it nature? Is it nurture? And it's scary for you too, right? Like, do you, you know, are James and I going to come hang out with you guys? And we've just been talking about how we want to murder you for fun, you know, and you were completely unaware, like Mm -hmm. in all these circumstances. Mm -hmm. I mean, they wouldn't have invited two serial killers over to like hang Mm -hmm. with them. These were their friends. Mm -hmm. So I think that's my takeaway. We did a really good job last week of pinpointing the road rage thing and and separating it out and saying, okay. I hope, I hope. I think we did, (laughs) that there's psycho, that there's psychopaths and then there's people that are acting stupidly and then they meet and that's when the bad things happen. But what's going on in these scenarios, like the Slenderman scenario or the scenario we just talked about? I think we did another episode about some guy that, decided to kill his family because he was lying about college. 
Now, where mm-hmm. do these kind of psychopathic kids originate from? And is there something that can be done about it or? Well, first of all, you have to say, did these two boys hide it? Well, maybe their parents didn't even know. It seems like they're more like they didn't know. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say his name because I'm not going to say mass killer names, but the guy who committed those murders of the little children and the teachers in Newtown was mentally ill. And I'm not talking about his learning difficulties or his personality, special needsness. I'm talking about his mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so I read a piece written by a woman who said, my son is the name of the killer and I don't know what to do about him. Yeah. He's, he is like this. He is this. He will eventually do this. And there is no one to help me. Mm-hmm. I can't commit him somewhere. There's no government agency to step in. What do I do? Mm-hmm. What's the answer? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because that was a website my cousin sent me to that there was a mom that was chronicling on a website, the behavior of her daughter. And she knew there was something off with her, but nobody could help her. So that is a real fear. (laughs) That That is is pretty. That is terrifying. Those of you who have kids out there, good luck. (laughs) We We may discuss this again. So we're giving you a parental warning if you don't like to hear about this. (laughs) Yeah, we... I don't know what show we did, but we were basically like giving all this parental. Oh, it was Slender Man. It was Slender Man. It was, yeah, where we were giving. We we're like giving all this parent advice. And we're like, even though we really don't know anything about it. Yeah, we have no idea what we're talking about. I don't know the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this episode up. Um, very scary. I'm going to put that on the, you know, definitely high up on the ferometer. Maybe it's not seven um, or an eight. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> So that was our talk on terrifying babysitting stories. Thanks for listening. And please go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and subscribe and subscribe on our website and you'll get life-changing content there. Definitely. Definitely. It's going to change your life and listening to us will change your life, even though we don't give any advice. We don't want you to improve your life from this. No, please. It might happen. I just wanted to warn you that it might happen. Not It might, but it's unintentional. And it'll be insidious. It'll sneak up into you and you'll just be like, what is in there? What is that? What are these women doing to me? And the answer is changing your life. Unintentionally. And we're sorry. (laughs) 